Hello and welcome back to this episode of the High Yield Podcast of Medicine. This episode is an introductory foundation to allergy and immunology as I will discuss high yield points on hypersensitivity and drug reactions and the basis for their classification that's required for understanding of clinical disorders related to hypersensitivity and drug reactions. I felt a need to address all these drug reactions together in a couple episodes, given the fact that we discussed some of them, such as erythema multiforme, Stevens-Johnson, toxic epidermal necrolysis in dermatology, while we discussed some of them, such as leukocytoclastic or drug-induced vasculitis in rheumatology or allergy and immunology. Now, at the beginning, I would like to draw your attention to several methods of classification for drug reactions that's essential for understanding and clinical workup. First and foremost, any drug reaction could be divided into types A and B, with type A being the common reactions due to pharmacologic side effect profile of the drug itself without much variability between the individuals who take them because these are dose-dependent and predictable reactions. These are overdoses, side effects, or drug-drug interactions. Then we have type B drug reactions, which are also referred to as hypersensitivity reactions. And these ones can be allergic immunologic or non-allergic. The non-allergic type of hypersensitivity drug reaction is sometimes referred to as pseudo-allergic drug reaction, which is an important category and clinicians are expected to know how to identify them. And we have a couple other hypersensitivity or type B drug reactions, which are either due to intolerance or due to pharmacogenetics with possible side effects happening at subtherapeutic doses. By the way, do you remember what this phenomenon is referred to as? It's referred to as idiosyncratic drug reaction, which is dose independent. Now, while we discuss most of the type A drug reactions due to side effect profile, overdose, or drug-drug interactions under the discussion of each individual drug, the focus of our episodes here on rheumatology, allergy, and immunology is mainly type B or hypersensitivity drug reactions. Another method of classification of drug reactions is based on overall timing of symptoms into immediate versus delayed type reactions. And this is just a simplification of type 1 hypersensitivity reaction versus all other types 2, 3, and 4, which are not immediate. Our focus will be on different types of hypersensitivity reaction when we classify the allergic drug reactions. Now, a better, more pathophysiologic classification focuses on the mechanism of drug reaction, and that's not only classification into allergic type 1 to 4 hypersensitivity reactions, but a couple other mechanisms involved in immunologic drug reactions. Can you mention some other types than hypersensitivity reaction which are responsible for pathogenesis of drug reactions? One is the PI interactions and that is pharmacologic interaction with immune receptors which includes non-covalent interaction with either HLA on antigen presenting cells or directly with T-cell receptors. As you can see these reactions mainly activate cell-mediated immunity. What's the example? Interaction of abacavir in HLA-susceptible individuals. 
The other example of non-allergic drug reaction mechanism is what's referred to as pseudo-allergic reactions, which involves IgE-independent mast cell degranulation. We will discuss this pseudo-allergic reaction and its examples in more detail. But now let's briefly go over different types of hypersensitivity reactions. That's type 1 to 4. Now what is the main mechanism when a drug functions as an allergen or immunogen? While most drugs are small and the full fail to function directly as allergens or antigens, some of them are capable of binding covalently with self-proteins and create new antigenic sites. Do you remember what is this called? It's called haptin formation. The new antigen is called haptin. What's the difference with PI interaction? In pharmacologic interaction with immune receptor, for example, that abacavir example we gave, the interaction happens with HLA or TCR and it is a non-covalent bond. Okay, let's overview the hypersensitivity reactions beginning with type 1 hypersensitivity, also known as immediate or IgE-mediated reaction. What's the precise immunologic mechanism of type 1 hypersensitivity reaction? In susceptible individuals, mast cells are already pre-sensitized to IgE binding, and when the individual is exposed to the allergen, this antigen cross-links the IgEs on mast cells, triggering the release of preformed vasoactive amines. Pay attention to the fact that this immediate release of vasoactive amines from sensitized mast cells is the early or immediate phase of the type 1 hypersensitivity reaction, while there is a late phase for the type 1 reaction. And that's mainly due to release of leukotrienes and other inflammatory cytokines. Compare and contrast the cells involved in immediate versus late phase of type 1 hypersensitivity. The cells involved in the immediate phase of type 1 hypersensitivity are the cells with FC epsilon receptor. These are mainly mast cells and basophils, while the cells in the late phase of type 1 hypersensitivity are mainly granulocytes such as basophils and eosinophils which are recruited later. Can you mention the mediators of immediate versus late phase type 1 hypersensitivity? The immediate phase are due to preformed mediators such as histamine, serotonin, and ECFA or eosinophil chemotactic factor of anaphylaxis, while the late phase of type 1 reaction is due to release of leukotrienes, more specifically the combination of leukotriene C4, D4, and E4 that's referred to as slow-reacting substance of anaphylaxis. Compare and contrast the timing of immediate versus late phase reactions of type 1 hypersensitivity and their clinical presentation. The immediate phase of type 1 reaction occurs within minutes and manifests mainly by wheels and flares as well as pruritus, while the late phase of type 1 hypersensitivity occurs around 6 hour post-exposure and manifests mainly by erythema and induration. Describe the lay terminology wheel, flare, and hives. Wheel is mainly the erythematous papule or plaque with central pallor, while the flare is the peripheral edema around the wheel. Hives is just simply the lay term for urticaria, which is a rash 
consisting of wheels and flares together with pruritus. True or false, hives or urticaria is a specific to type 1 hypersensitivity reaction. That's false. We could see it in different types of hypersensitivity reaction. We can see it as a symptom in other systemic diseases. We can see it as a diagnosis such as the case of chronic idiopathic urticaria or we can even see it as urticarial vasculitis. We will discuss urticaria a bit later. What are the other more systemic manifestations possible in type 1 hypersensitivity reaction? Edema can affect several tissues including respiratory tract, GI system, and vessels. This may result in angioedema of the face and extremities, laryngeal and bronchial tightness and constriction with strider and wheezing, GI symptoms, and hypotension with possibility of shock. Now, what clinical syndromes could be associated with type 1 hypersensitivity reaction? In addition to skin rashes in the form of urticaria or hives that includes wheel and flare, we have angioedema and we have anaphylaxis. We will discuss these together with drugs causing type 1 hypersensitivity in their specific episodes. Before discussing the next type 2 hypersensitivity reaction, I want to remind you not to confuse the late phase of immediate type 1 hypersensitivity reaction with the delayed type or type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. Again, remember, we have the late phase mediators of type 1 hypersensitivity, such as leukotriens C4, D4, and E4, forming the slow reacting substance of anaphylaxis. By the way, what are the other late phase type 1 hypersensitivity mediators? The other newly synthesized metabolites of arachidonic acid. Can you mention some of their functions? Prostaglandin E2 causes increased pain and vascular permeability. The slow reacting substance of anaphylaxis causes increased smooth muscle contraction and vascular permeability, while leukotriene B4 is neutrophil chemotactic factor. You may wonder what's the clinical relevance of these molecular biology questions. So check this out. Why antihistamines are not useful for management of asthma? Remember, the bronchoconstriction seen in asthma is mainly mediated by leukotrienes, not histamine. That's why we use leukotriene inhibitors such as antagonists of leukotriene receptors, montelukast, zafirlukast, or 5-lipoxygenase pathway inhibitors such as xylutin. Now talking about asthma drugs, remember why omalizumab is used in asthma? It's an IgE monoclonal antibody, therefore it binds the unbound IgEs and prevents mast cell desensitization. In what kind of asthma we can use it? We can use it only in allergic asthma. And talking about some management options for most type 1 hypersensitivity, what is the basis for chronic desensitization method? Remember, long-term weekly administration of an antigen increases production of IgE and IgA against that antigen and therefore reduces access of IgE to that antigen, thus preventing immediate or type 1 hypersensitivity reaction. The other mechanism involved in chronic desensitization is an overall increased activity of regulatory interleukin-10 
that reduces IgE production. Okay, moving to type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. First question is what is its overall mechanism? I want you to remember ADCC, antibody dependent cell mediated cytotoxicity. What is the main antibody involved in ADCC? That's IgG. What's the main immunologic process responsible for type 2 hypersensitivity? Simply, it's opsonization, the molecular mechanism in which an opsonin, which is most commonly IgG, binds to an antigen so that the antigen can be eliminated through the process of phagocytosis. Remember, this binding of an opsonin to the antigen is not does not involve immune complex formation. It's just simply binding of an opsonin to the antigen with the purpose of activating cellular mechanisms causing cell destruction, inflammation, or cellular dysfunction. Now, I would like you to also classify hypersensitivity types based on the main effector arm of humoral versus cellular immune response. While in type 1, the main antibody was IgE and the main cell was the mast cell, in type 2, what are the main players of humoral and cell-mediated arms of type 2 reaction. While as we mentioned, the opsonin IgG is the main antibody, natural killer cells as well as phagocytes such as macrophages are the main cellular elements. Now, we talked about eosinophil chemotactic factor of anaphylaxis being involved in type 1 hypersensitivity. So, are eosinophils a main player in type 1 or type 2 hypersensitivity? While eosinophils can play some roles in type 1, in type 2 hypersensitivity, especially against parasites, eosinophils are the main mediators of antibody-dependent cytotoxicity. Now, do you remember what's the main mediator from eosinophils involved in the antiparasitic effect? That's the major basic protein. If cellular destruction is the mechanism involved in type 2 hypersensitivity, can you give examples of disorders associated with this reaction? Autoimmune hemolytic anemia, immune thrombocytopenic purpura, hemolytic disease of newborn, and transfusion reactions are all examples of antibody-dependent cytotoxicity. Now, we mentioned another mechanism possible in type 2 reaction is inflammation after antibody interaction. What is the cascade of events in this reaction? Binding of antibody that includes now not only IgG but also IgM, a potent fixator of complement, would result in activation of complement system and then inflammation. What are the examples of this reaction? Here we have good pasture syndrome as the most famous example that you remember includes the position of immunoglobulins on glomerular basement membrane. Other examples of antibody-mediated inflammation in type 2 reaction are acute rheumatic fever myocarditis as well as the process of hyperacute transplant rejection. The third arm of type 2 reaction is cellular dysfunction. What is it? Binding of antibody to cell surface receptors results in abnormal cellular function that includes either reduced or increased function. What are the examples? One example is myasthenia gravis, that antibodies to postsynaptic acetylcholine receptor inhibit the neuromuscular junction. The other example is Graves' disease in which 
stimulating or activating receptors bind to TSH receptors on thyroid gland. And final example is the non-insulin dependent diabetes mellitus, also known as insulin resistance, in which we have antibodies that inhibit insulin binding to its receptor. Remember, most conditions associated with autoantibodies independent of immune complex formation belong to type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. Now, in addition to the disorders we mentioned and their clinical presentation, what lab finding can highly favor presence of a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction? Presence of high titers of performed IgG. Okay, describe the process of type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. Again, I want to subdivide it into humoral and cell-mediated effectors. The first event is formation of immune complexes. Remember, again, the most common type of antigen involved is IgG. The next event is complement activation. Remember, it's classic complement pathway that's activated by antigen-antibody binding. Now, what's the next step? The next step is neutrophil chemotaxis. So as you can see, neutrophils are now the main effectors for the cell-mediated arm in type 3 hypersensitivity. By the way, do you remember what are the cell effectors of type 2? They included natural killer cells, but in the case of cytotoxicity against parasites and helminths, we had eosinophils. Now, what is the main factor responsible for neutrophil recruitment in type 3 hypersensitivity? Remember, we mentioned immune complexes activate complement. Among complement factors, C5A is neutrophil chemotactic factor. What factors mediate cellular damage in type 3 reaction? The lysozymes released from neutrophils. What are the examples of disorders associated with type 3 hypersensitivity? Given the nature of immune complex formation that can affect multiple organs, we have conditions such as multi-organ autoimmune disorders such as systemic lupus erythematosus, rheumatoid arthritis, polyarthritis nodosa, and several types of glomerulonephritis. In drug reactions, we will extensively discuss serum sickness and Arthur's reaction, which are examples of drug reactions by type 3 hypersensitivity. Couple point, when it comes to vasculitis and glomerulonephritis, I have noticed that some commercial review resources mention that, oh, if it is a vasculitis or if it is glomerulonephritis or any type of systemic disease like that, it's going to be type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. And that's a very dangerous oversimplification and generalization. We have some glomerulonephritis, which are not due to immune complex, and we have several types of vasculitis, which are not due to immune complex. So please be more careful. I have designed a couple high-yield questions at the end of this chapter to challenge some of these disorders and misconceptions. However, it's safe to just remember that the most common type of disorders associated with type 3 hypersensitivity are vasculitis, immune complex glomerulonephritis, and conditions associated with polyarthritis such as rheumatoid arthritis, reactive arthritis, and serum sickness. And finally, type 4 or delayed type hypersensitivity reaction. What mechanism separates this type from all other hypersensitivity reactions? The fact that this is the only type that does not have a humoral component. In other words, it's purely cell-mediated, not antibody-mediated. The other way to question it is what type of hypersensitivity reaction is not transferable by serum 
and that's type 4. What's the mechanism? It's either direct cell cytotoxicity mediated by CD8 positive cytotoxic T cells or a delayed type CD4 plus helper T cell mediated reaction that is followed by cytokine release, inflammation, and macrophage activation. In other words, inflammation that's mediated by T helper cells. Now, what's the difference of cytotoxicity in type 4 versus type 2? Well, type 2 is referred to as antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity. In other words, it requires antibody binding to cell surface. But type 4 is antibody-independent or direct cytotoxicity, and the effectors of the direct cytotoxicity are, well, cytotoxic or CD8 plus T cells. What are the examples of type 4 hypersensitivity reaction? If the mechanism is direct cytotoxicity, the best example is type 1 diabetes. If the mechanism is delayed type CD4 mediated hypersensitivity, the examples include contact dermatitis, graft versus host disease, PPD skin testing, multiple sclerosis, inflammatory bowel disease, Sjogren's syndrome and systemic sclerosis, Hashimoto thyroiditis, and certain types of transplant rejection. Do you remember what's the mechanism involved in hyperacute transplant rejection? Hyperacute type is due to type 2 hypersensitivity, while acute type and chronic types of transplant rejections give examples of type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. The acute transplant rejection is direct cytotoxicity mediated by CD8 plus T cells, while the chronic transplant rejection is mediated by delayed type 4 or CD4 plus T helper cell mediated reaction. Now, remember we have combination hypersensitivity reactions. For example, rheumatoid arthritis not only shows immune complex formation, but T-cell mediated damage. So it is a combination of type 3 and 4. Or chronic transplant rejection is inclusive of both type 2 and 4 hypersensitivity reaction. Okay, couple final questions. True or false, all glomerulonephritis are type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. That is false. What are the examples of glomerulonephritis which are not type 3 hypersensitivity reaction? Remember, anti-glomerular basement membrane disease or good pasture syndrome is due to antibody deposition followed by complement activation. And another type of glomerulonephritis which is type 2 MPGN Type 2 membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, also known as dense deposit disease, does not involve immune complex deposition, contrary to type 1 membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis. Another misconception or true or false question. True or false, all vasculitides are type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. That's false. We have a large category of vasculitis that are categorized as pauci immune or pauci immune ANCA associated vasculitis, also known as the vasculitis of small vessels. Conditions such as microscopic polyangiitis, Wegener's granulomatosis, and Churgis-Strauss syndrome. These are the vasculitis not mediated by immune complex. Next question. What type of hypersensitivity reaction is seen in Pemphigus vulgaris? Well, I ask this question to help you understand that if you know the pathogenesis of disorders and also you know precise mechanism of each hypersensitivity reaction type, you don't need to memorize the list of disorders. 
you just need to match these two. So what was the pathogenesis of pamphigus? It included antibodies to desmoglane, which resulted in antibody-mediated protease activation disrupting intercellular adhesions, yes? So this exactly matches cellular dysfunction mediated by antibody binding to cell surface. In other words, type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. Now, what about pernicious anemia? Well, again, the mechanism is antibodies that neutralize intrinsic factors. Always remember presence of autoimmune disorders mediated by autoantibodies, not by immune complex, are examples of type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. The same way that I would like you to remember all types of hemolytic anemias are type 2 hypersensitivity reactions. And the same way that I want you to remember membrane proliferative glomerulonephritis type 2, also known as dense deposit disease, is type 2 hypersensitivity reaction mediated by what? By C3 nephritic factor. In the same way that I want you to remember, good pasture and pemphigus vulgaris are also type 2 hypersensitivity reactions. And final question in this episode, how do we differentiate atopic dermatitis from urticaria? Now, this is kind of tricky or misnomer question because atopic dermatitis may trigger you to think that, oh, it's an atopic reaction and therefore it's a type 1 hypersensitivity reaction. The second reason in addition to this misnomer is that many cases of atopic dermatitis are associated with atopic disorders such as food allergy or asthma, which are typical examples of type 1 hypersensitivity. However, remember atopic dermatitis is not type 1 hypersensitivity, it's most likely a process similar to type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. While urticaria, that includes Wieland flare plus pruritus, is type 1 hypersensitivity reaction, even though it could be seen in disorders other than type 1 reactions. Now, why this differential is important? Because both these conditions are associated with atopy, are associated with pruritic erythematous rash that could be triggered by environmental allergens. However, remember the skin rash in atopic dermatitis or eczema is associated with vesicles, scaling, and excoriation. These are not seen in simple urticarial reaction. And of course, the overall clinical scenario, such as a patient with the atopic triad or secondary bacterial infection on top of the skin lesions, favors the atopic dermatitis or eczema. Thanks. This finishes our introductory yet high-yield discussion of drug reactions and hypersensitivity. 